When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Back-to-back wins for Eric Ten Hag and two victories in very different styles. This had not the intensity and passion of last Monday night's memorable defeat of Liverpool. But three points on the south coast sent Manchester United's travelling support back home on Saturday afternoon with a smile. Still, as Eric says, there's plenty to improve. And so that's what we'll talk about today on the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Welcome and thank you for listening. We're also going to be discussing today United's Europa League draw, the potential signing of Brazilian winger Anthony, links to Napoli's Victor Osimhen, Ronaldo, Maguire and Shaw's continued absence, Casemiro's debut and Thursday night's game at Leicester coming up. There'll be a youth and loan roundup in the middle of the show. Let's begin. Jack, with uh, reviewing Saturday's match against Southampton a couple of days on, how do you review that game, but probably more importantly, the result? Just what we needed in terms of the result after the Liverpool game. We, I mean, we mentioned in the Liverpool game that the club felt like it was on a knife edge, and it definitely didn't feel quite like that against Southampton, but it did feel like it was a big moment in terms of where we would be heading mm. after this game. I think a negative result against Southampton would have sort of felt like it invalidated everything good that happened against Liverpool. Yeah. As it happened, coming away from St Mary's with a win, I think it's one of those games that you take and you move on from and we probably won't think about very much for the rest of the season. It wasn't a particularly pretty game to watch. It wasn't the best performance, but it's one of those ones that you come away from just happy that you got the win and you sort of move on. Yeah, you're right. It was interesting that even after Liverpool game, United kind of, the mood remained, but it was still on a precipice where, as you say, a bad result would have kind of made it seem like a, an anomaly against a much weakened and poor Liverpool side. Whereas, and let's have it right, yeah, you're right, this wasn't an incredible performance and it's a game that Southampton could have won actually, or very easily could have been a draw and it would have been deserved, I think. But one moment of quality, of, of real quality uh, throughout the team for, for United's goal split this game rather than general dominance and yet it was a very different type of game and challenge and there were clear signs that we'd learnt from the uh, humiliating defeat to Brentford and that's why we won the game really and and I think with a new manager especially but also with any any manager's signs of learning and and adapting to the challenge and the task in front of you is I mean 
it's nothing but a good sign, is it? No, exactly. And every team throughout the season needs results like this. You're not going to be able to play well every single game. And honestly, in these kind of matches where you're not at your best and you know it's going to be a bit of a grind, it's all about A, riding your luck when it comes. And we definitely did that at times with Southampton missing a few good chances. And it's also about providing moments of quality when you get the opportunity. We didn't really do that consistently enough throughout the game, but we did once with, to be honest, a very good goal, a really nice flowing move and a brilliant finish from Fernandez. that ultimately that piece of quality proved to be the difference in the game. And in these kind of matches, when you're a team like United, you know, like Man City, Liverpool, Arsenal, whatever top team you are, it is ultimately in these games about being ready for the fight and not not sort of cowering in in the face of that intensity, that pressure that you're going to come under from teams like Southampton to be able to stick in the game and yeah. then using what is ultimately the difference between the two teams, which is the quality that you have generally in your forward players to make the difference. And we did that. Again, I don't think it's a performance that we're going to think about very much after this week, to be honest. Yeah. But it is just one of those games where you need to kind of get through, you move on. And to be honest... You know, thinking back to Man United at our very best, these are the kind of performances that Alex Ferguson's Manchester United, not the kind of performances, these are the kind of games that Sir Alex Ferguson's Manchester United always came through and, and we managed to. Let's focus on the goal because the goal was playing to our strengths and this wasn't a, when we say moment of quality, this wasn't a, a moment of quality in the vein of Ronaldo's long shot against Tottenham. This was a goal playing to our strengths where three players combined brilliantly and there were movement off the ball as well as on the ball, which which opened space up. And you, I think I think you'd have to say, I mean, it's obvious, but the goal, the most exciting thing about this game, but particularly from an Eric Ten Hag perspective in terms of how we rate the job he's doing so far, this was a really well-worked, obviously well-coached and practised goal and not on the counter-attack as well, which is where we have obviously, we know there's quality on the counter-attack. This was about... Sancho receiving the ball in more space and earlier it was about Dallo making that overlapping run that we didn't see enough in the first half. This was about Bruno not involving himself in the move and instead finishing it off and finishing it brilliantly, obviously. But there, there were a few a few aspects to this goal that we to to the move in general that we hadn't seen enough in the first half and the change after half time and how United played was a sign of a, a very good manager. Yeah, I think both the the second goal, sorry, the first goal against Liverpool and this goal against Southampton are are signs of how I think Ten Hag will want us to play yeah. on the ball. We we obviously, I think even four games in, I think we're still a little bit unsure exactly what the Ten Hag way sort of looks like because we were obviously plunged into a really sort of desperate yeah. situation so quickly and he's been forced to be a little bit more pragmatic than he probably wanted to. But I think we we are seeing some some signs of it albeit sort of inconsistent at the moment of how we want to play. And similarly to how we highlighted the first goal against Liverpool last week, being very much the product of moving the ball very quickly for multiple different phases throughout that attack. It was similar for the goal against Southampton too. We had the ball at the back. Martinez played it into Rashford, trying to come up come up the left-hand side. And eventually the ball was recycled back to defence. And, you know, the thing that was really not- notable to me, A, was how quickly he moved the ball. Once he gets into Elanga, he does take a number of touches, but he's really driving into space. Yeah. He's into Sancho, quickly out to, to Dalo and then into Fernandes. And all of those movements were very quick, either one or two touch. But it was also, tactically, it was how far forward Dalo was pushed as well. Yeah. You know, th- that didn't come from a, a broken down attack where Dalo was already in that position and just stayed there. We had controlled possession for a good 30 seconds or so before the ball went out to Elanga. And when mm. the ball was on the opposite side of the pitch with Martinez and Rashford 
Dala was so far forward on that right-hand side, which is really notable to me. And it's a, a shift from what we saw in pre-season where the fullbacks were, were sort of being instructed to stay inside more. And Ten Hag mentioned it after the game that playing through the wide areas wasn't necessarily a, a plan before the Southampton game, but he mentioned that they were really crowding the midfield, mm. really making it difficult to play through them. And that was sort of how we reacted to try and create some more space to be able to play through the, through Southampton in the second half. Yeah, and uh, those two goals are absolutely, they're like a, it's as if we've still got this kind of blackout door in, in the way of seeing what Ten Hag's Manchester United are going to look like in the future. And it's like there's a little porthole that you'd get on a boat's door so you can see into this vision for the future and the goal against Liverpool and the Southampton goal are, are that kind of tease yeah. of what may be to come in terms of that possession-based football and, and working breaking down an opponent who are defending well. And although the finishes were very different, the build-up to the goal and, and the structure of the attacks that led up to them are very, very similar, really. In both mm. cases, you have a ball from the centre-back out wide into the winger, yeah. then a ball inside, in the first case to Eriksen, the second case to Sancho, and then goes back out wide and you get the first-time cross into the box. They're, the actual makeup of those goals, the structure of the attacks that create them are eerily, eerily similar. What's so positive about that is they're on different sides of the pitch. Yeah, Exactly. And involving and, different players, of course. Yeah. And it, and I think, especially with Malassia on that left-hand side, I think we're starting to feel a little bit more balanced now as well, because I think, I would probably say Shaw is much more polished in attack than Malassia is, but I think Malassia's style of play is probably more similar to Darlow's. And so we end up being mm. a little bit more balanced in that regard. And it is positive that we are managing to get attacks down that side and Sancho, probably unsurprisingly, central yeah. to both of them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that balance is what you assume is, is, is going to come with more signings, which we'll talk about shortly. But also the, the change of Alanga coming inside because he was struggling on the right wing in the first half. And I think the first half was a, a distinctly average performance. I wouldn't say it was bad because defensively it was very sound, I think, uh, yeah. and compact at most times with a couple of bits of fortune as there always is in, in defensive play. So it was average, but it was so, so much improved by a couple of those changes, including the fullback spot and, and particularly Alanga coming inside, changing the way that United played in the wide areas. And Alanga had a really good 15 minute spell coming in centrally to create space. And that's, as as you've just uh, described, what happens for the goal. Yeah, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll sort of come on to how we reacted to going ahead in a second. But I thought that first 15, 20 minutes of the second half was by far our best period in the game. Yeah. And, you know, it was... It was deserved that we ended up going ahead in that period. And I think it's also a good sign that, again, we have, I think that one of the biggest differences between Ten Hag and Solskjaer that I think we'll, we will continue to see is just, that I think, in-game, Ten Hag's reputation and even what we've seen so far is that he is better at making adjustments within the game than Solskjaer was. And I think that is something we've seen already. And it was very evident at Southampton that the the slight adjustments that we made at halftime did make a big difference against Southampton. You obviously saw it with the Martial sub against Liverpool too. Yeah, and I think yeah. it's something that will be a theme of, of Ten Hag's reign is that I think we will see better in-game adjustments from this United team. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what this was about. What did you think of the reaction to the goal? It's probably the worst part of the game, I think, for me. The first half performance wasn't great, but it was 
it was a, a relatively... It was a, an okay foundation. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it was just a bit... It was forgetful, let's say. Whereas I think the way that we yeah. reacted to going ahead, I think probably made even worse by the fact that we had done so well to start the second half. We had, we had really regained control of the game, especially in possession, which we didn't really have at any point in the first half. And I just felt like that reaction it, to, to going ahead, we retreated far too much. And really, the last 20, 25 minutes, it, it was... It was really back to the wall kind of stuff. And, in, you know, in the end, you can say, give you like credit that we defended relatively well. Southampton really only had one good chance in that period. But at the same time, you'd want to see us being able to see the game out in a much more comfortable fashion than we did, especially having gained control at the start of the second half to, to then give it away again was was disappointing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What do you think it's down to? I mean, it's hard to say exactly. Attitude and, and I th- not even conscious attitude but sort of subconscious approaches to the game I think is a big part of it and I think especially when you see a team that is still a little bit fragile in terms of their confidence I think it's a sort of natural reaction to going ahead that you do sort of start to retreat and that you start being so proactive on the ball I think also and and this is going to be a theme that I'm sure we'll come back to so often this season the biggest thing I think is just in, in the midfield to be honest tactically that was the big difference to me is that we did manage to regain some control at the start of the second half but that mainly to be honest came from having the ball deeper in our own half and it was really the centre-backs that were the ones that were sort of dictating the progressive play that United did have it didn't really come very much from McTominay it came a little bit from Ericsson but mainly it was Martinez and to a lesser extent Varane yeah Martinez had a lot of a lot of responsibility for that put on his shoulders because McTominay was absent too often as you say Ericsson okay and Varane I think yeah I think we've just shown that Martinez is clearly a good progressor of the ball and Varane is a great defender when he's got this strength and and the fitness and the intensity but has not got the same qualities on the ball yeah and I think once we once we went ahead Southampton were a bit more aggressive in their press they forced us to go long more often and it ended up with us just not really being able to ever have the ball stick up front the wingers became a bit isolated Rashford when he was still playing up front just wasn't able really to offer us that sort of outlet and even when Ronaldo came on who you would think would be slightly better suited to that role didn't really help us very much in that regard either so I think it it came down to the midfield mainly it's just that again we're not really good enough to play under any kind of pressure and at that point Southampton were they really up their intensity in response to going behind. And then by the time that pattern is set, after about you know five or 10 minutes of that happening, that's, it's difficult to arrest that pattern then for the rest of the game. And I think at that point, about 70, 75 minutes, it seemed like United almost accepted that this was just going to be backed against the wall, fight until the end and hope that we don't concede. Yeah. In terms of the confidence, the thing that's missing is conviction because I think that's what we saw in a slightly different way. But in the first half, was there wasn't that conviction to the in and that belief in the game plan. It was like the, the United players were holding back a little bit, and what we saw after half time was a bit more belief in in what we were doing and a bit more conviction in how we did it, and that resulted in committing to getting the, the fullbacks much higher forward and, and living with the consequences if it went wrong and in the end resulted in the goal. And then afterwards, yeah, the, the, again, that kind of belief in what we're doing not quite being there. And I think, I think that's probably a, a common theme, but one that you would predict optimistically, but predict and hope will, will develop over the next few weeks. I think conviction is a great way, a great word to use to describe that. Because I don't think, like, I think especially at the moment when United players maybe aren't, executing on what Ten Hag's plans are. I don't think that's them consciously sort of coming out onto the pitch and deciding 
you know, I actually don't agree with what I've been instructed to do today. So I'm going to do something else. It's more just a, yeah, yeah. when you subconsciously don't have a bank of positive sort of muscle memory effectively to rely on, you instinctively go back to what just comes naturally to you. And often that isn't what this coach is instructing you to do, but yeah. you'd hope that as hopefully we would get more positive results, we have better performances in this system. The players will feel more conviction to just stick to that as we go through a game, even through bad periods of the game, and that you will stick to it. It was notable that, you, you know, you come out the second half, we started quite well in the first couple of minutes, and then all of a sudden you get those sort of repeated actions where sticking to that tactical plan that Ten Hag clearly wants us to have. But again, after we, after we concede, you sort of reset the game a little bit, and once we don't get a foothold, we then aren't able to go and execute those again. So I think it is just about building up that almost that memory bank of, of better performances with this system that then will allow the players to have more conviction, to stick to those those principles, stick to that plan, even when the game isn't going our way in that exact moment. Yeah, tell you what, there was conviction in the defending of Varane and Martinez and Malassia. And, and I thought yeah. Malassia again made a couple of mistakes, but made up for them at all times. And that's a trait I think is, is really positive. He's not as good defensively as Shaw, but uh, his attitude and, and his ability to very quickly react to making a mistake is a, a very good sign for a defender to have. Stylistically with his with his defending, he reminds me quite a lot of Gary Neville because Gary Neville was never a very polished defender, but he was scrappy and intense and he'd always yeah. go in for a challenge a little bit too early. But kind of similarly, he was just always sort of scrapping around the winger's feet and often made up for the mistakes that he did have. Yeah, yeah. But in, in terms of the, the, the back four in general, compact and, and well-drilled, uh, to a much better extent than against Brentford and, and others. Uh, and that's yeah. without Casemiro, which is a very good sign. So it can't be put down to his arrival. But notably, very notably, it's without Maguire and Shaw. Um, and United's first away clean sheet since December, which is incredible. Do you do you see any sort of route back from Maguire and Shaw at this point? For, I, I mean, they definitely will play just because of the weight of fixtures, especially with how injury-prone Varane is. But in terms of getting into the, the first choice eleven. I, it it seems to be becoming, especially for Maguire, maybe less so for sure, but seems to be becoming a long, a very long road for them to get back here. Yeah, I think we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago on the Patreon Q and A, and and I think my answer is still quite similar in that I think Ten Hag might turn to Maguire in these games where United needs a better progressor of the ball from deep than Varane because Maguire is good at that and has the best passing range of any of United centre-backs and is a good carrier of the ball into just outside the final third often. So I think he could still be used for that. But given that Varane maintained and retained his place for the Southampton game, which is exactly the kind of game you might expect this, uh, it's looking hard and hard. And I think the reason is is in terms of defending in transition and Maguire just is too clunky and too slow. As for Shaw, yeah, again, interesting that Malassia kept his place. I think at, at this stage, it was kind of a reward for the energy and intensity with which Varane and Malassia played rather than necessarily a, uh, a playing style choice. And I think that was obvious in terms of Ten Hag keeping exactly the same lineup as against Liverpool, even though players like McTominay, Malassia and Varane might not have been as well suited to that game as they were to, to the Liverpool game. So at the moment, I think it's a reward for application I think in a few weeks' time, if Maguire is still not getting into these games against lesser opposition, where they're going to sit back more than against the big teams, then I think I think that that will be a very clear demonstration of of where this is going. So I think there is a I'm not sure it's a route 
it's not a route back that they can get because I don't think Maguire can improve on the attributes that keep or the lack of attributes that keep him out of this in terms of being clunky and big and slow. Um, as for sure, I don't know. I think that's just about application. So maybe there's, I see a route back for sure in just being uh, very applied as he was in his really good season under Solskjaer in 2020, 21, I think it was. Maguire, I think it's less about what he does and just more about whether Ten Hag sees a, a role for him in particular games. Yeah, that makes sense. I, th- I think I think the issue that Maguire has at the moment is that given the start of our season and how poorly we played against Brentford and Brighton, two teams that for the most part put us under quite a lot of pressure, even when we had the ball in defence, is that I'm just not sure we're going to play many teams this season that do really commit to that sort of deep block, just sit back, really don't worry about United having the ball until we sort of cross the halfway line, which traditionally was the way that sort of bottom half of the table teams would play against teams like Man United. It would be very, very much, you know, four, two banks of four, maybe a bank of four, bank of five, and you don't really put them under any pressure until they sort of get closer to your own penalty box. I just don't know that we're going to come up against that kind of style very much this season because we've already shown the weakness when teams put some pressure on us when we have the ball at the back. You know, Brighton in the second half, for example, that is the kind of pattern of the game where Maguire thrives. And he was good against Brighton on the ball because they were just sitting back at that point trying to protect their lead. Mm. And it was basically just United, you know, consistently attacking. But again, even then, he had some issues in transition. But I think the blueprint when teams like, say, Brentford or Southampton, teams that are sort of not fighting for relegation necessarily, but definitely sort of bottom half of the table teams. I think when they play against United this season, the blueprint is going to be much more like that. It's going to be, can we get in their faces? Can we put them under pressure, even when we have the ball at the back? And that, not that Maguire has a problem with playing with the ball under pressure. He's, like you mentioned, probably our best on the ball centre-back. But the problem is that when you play against those kind of teams, there's a much higher chance you lose the ball close to your own goal and then you get into those transitional moments when yeah. Maguire isn't so good defensively. Okay, let's let's move on to transfers. And I think the performance and the performance of McTominay against Southampton, obviously Casemiro came on, but showed and how easily the midfield was kind of bypassed and, and they ghosted through it, showed how much United need a, another central midfielder signed. And yet the players we're being linked with, apart from a, a couple of backup goalkeepers, are wingers and strikers. Two positions where United do also need someone, but for fees of about 100 million euros each, which you would assume leaves no no money in the budget because United have spent a, a large amount already if this Anthony deal goes over the line. Uh, and to add a strike on top of that would be a massive spend. You assume that leaves no space for a midfielder when United really need one. Yeah, I think this probably sing- signals the end of serious transfer dealings from United this summer. Which, I mean, it's a little bit disappointing, I think, in, in again, like we mentioned with the Casemiro transfer, that the process has been dragged out this long and hasn't been what you would want. I mean, Anthony has been pushing for a move away from Ajax since yeah. the end of last season. And I think it was no secret from the start of the window that he, even if he wasn't necessarily the number one target for United this summer, he was definitely someone that was sort of on the radar. So it's disappointing that it's dragged on till the last week of the window and we're probably, as a result of that, paying a good, you know, 30, 40 million more than most people expect. That's what's mad about it, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's an all too familiar, messy process that is all too familiar in terms of eight years ago with Marouane Fellaini. Right. Uh, or nine years ago. We could have got this done way cheaper at the start of the window when the interest was obviously there already. 
and a player who wanted to join. And yet we've, we've waited. It's as if we'll talk about Anthony as a player in a second, but it's, it's as if they were, it's like they were trying to do it on the cheap and get away yeah. without signing him or, or this person or that. And the opening performances of the season were so bad that they, they've kind of be rushed into action. That's just no way. And that maybe is overly, not overly critical. I think we have every right to be critical. Maybe that's the wrong analysis and something else. And there's a different factor. We don't know, but that's one way of looking at it. And I don't think it's uh, beyond the realms of belief to believe it could be true. It's just, that's, that's well, so I mean, concerning, isn't it? It is. And, it, you know, if you look at it, I, I know that it's not necessarily this simple, but on the face of it, if you think we maybe could have got Anthony, let's say for £30 million cheaper if we were signing him in July rather than almost September. If you look at what's happening at Leicester, for example, this summer, that money might might have been enough to even get someone like Tielemans from mm. Leicester, given how many players they are looking to sell. Probably would have needed more than that. It's but the possible, point is, yeah. you know, £30 million, which is maybe the difference of what we're now signing Anthony for compared to what we could have gotten for a few months ago, that money could easily have got you a, a pretty decent quality central midfielder that would have made a big difference to United this season. And it is just these kind of things where it's possible that United are signing all the, all the right players. And, you know, I, I like Anthony, to be honest. I think he is a profile that we need and have needed for a long time. But it, it's still possible that you can sign all the right players, but still have a lot of room for improvement in the transfer window. And I think that is kind of where United are at at the moment in that I think if we were to end this window with bring, having brought in Malassia, Martinez, Casemiro and Anthony, I think you'd say... And Ericsson. If it, and Ericsson. If you, in a vacuum, forget the process, if you just gave me a list of those players at the beginning of this transfer window, I would have said that's pretty good. Probably seven and a half, maybe eight, eight out of ten in terms of the players alone. Maybe a seven, actually. Yeah. That's a bit high. But then you sort of actually bring in the, the manner in which we've signed all of them. The fact that two of those signings, the two most expensive, weren't even here to begin the season. We had a new manager in place from back in the, the start of May. And it took, you know, until the end of August to get two of the most high, high profile of those signings in. Then I haven't had a preseason, haven't had time to work with the manager. You know, it, it's just... It's difficult to stomach the fact that it feels like we are we were very close to having a very good transfer window, but in the end, it's probably not going to be that um, that great because of the manner in which we've gone about signing these players. On the other hand, we will forget the manner if these players do well in terms of the actual impact on the team. The process is on the on the team's performances. The process isn't that important. I don't. I I I agree with what you're saying that we should have had them in earlier. Absolutely, but I think long term that won't make that much of a difference. The long term problem beyond just our satisfaction as Manchester United fans. The long term problem is you're now spending extra money we didn't have to, and that will have an impact on our the rest of our transfer business, as you say, with like another midfielder signing with the money used, the extra money used for Anthony, or it will have a problem for January or next summer when the budget is slightly smaller because we've wasted this additional money on paying effectively twice what Anthony is worth. And you just think, yeah, there must be better value alternatives there. And it's always a weird one with transfers, isn't it? Because on the one hand, I think it's not my money, so I I don't really care. Uh, Well, about 300 quid of it is my money from a season (laughs) ticket, but apart from that, it's not my money. Um, so I don't really care, but also, yeah, it's that long-term impact. But basically, he's a good... I don't, I don't really care about... I don't care about the money in terms of how much is actually spent. I care about the money in terms of opportunity cost. But it's sort of, know, yeah, value for money, isn't it? Well, but, but even that, like, I don't... Even if we pay double the price for a player, if they're the right player, 
I'm not, I don't really care, but I care about it if spending double means that we then can't go and sign another player yeah. that would improve the team. Yeah. And that's what I mean about the opportunity cost. It's that it's not just that we're spending more money, it's that we're spending more money and by and in doing so, that is stopping us from being able to improve the team in other ways. That's where it becomes an issue. Listen, yeah. the Glazers can spend all the all the money that they want. I, I don't I don't care. It's not my money to spend. They're spending it on players, fine. But it's, again, just more symptomatic of the fact that we don't have a cohesive strategy here. And like we said, if Anthony was the player, we should have been going all out for him since the beginning of the summer. And even if we ended up spending the same money, at the very least, you'd be in the same position you are now in terms of the budget, but he would have had a full preseason. Admittedly, in Anthony's case, it's probably less important given he's worked with Ten Hag before, but still. Yeah. Despite this though, I, I do want to be a little bit more upbeat about it that he is an exciting player, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He's good. He's young. He fits the team. That's what matters. There's just concerns over uh, forwards from the Dutch league coming into the Premier League and many of them haven't performed to the same level that they did there. Yep. On the other hand, he's 22. He's he's so clearly on the right path and that path should take him towards being a very good forward over the next two or three years. Yep. And if United get a, a great winger for the next five to 10 years, then forget the price. It's been brilliant. Everyone will forget about it. He's, he's worth the money. Yeah, I've got to say, um, I'm... And I'm, yeah, it's exciting as a, a young 22-year-old Brazilian winger is, yeah, obviously exciting. Yeah, ex- exactly. That's what I was going to say. It's, there, are, there are definitely concerns over how translate, translatable his skills are from the Dutch League to the Premier League. Like you said, there's been a long history of players coming from, from Holland into the Premier League, not managing to, to translate the form that they showed there. And that obviously is probably the biggest concern with Anthony because I think everything else he has it in his locker in terms of the age, the profile. I think from I, on a personal note, I have always absolutely loved to watch left-footed wingers that cut in and their sort of trademark is that flash across the back post, whether it's a cross or a shot, all the way back to to Robin back mm. when I was sort of growing up and he was at Chelsea at that time and he was the sort of the bane of Man United, but. Just so good to watch. It's now sort of players like Mares. Yeah. I, I just, I absolutely, I find them so aesthetically pleasing players like that. So from a personal point of view, I'm very excited to have a, a player like that at, at Old Trafford. It will just be fun to watch. And to some degree, that is something we haven't had a whole lot of really, especially on the right wing in a long time. We just haven't had anyone who is fun to watch. And Anthony will definitely provide that whether or not sort of the yeah. product is there it's it's been a long time since United have had anyone as as skillful yeah as we'll talk about who he kind of comes into the starting lineup for in the patron Q&A but we haven't got time to now the other link is to Victor Osterman the striker from Napoli uh, I, I'm not sure how much weight we should give to these rumours yet because the very early stages but it, it's it's born out of the links of Cristiano Ronaldo going to Napoli Uh and the suggestion is that United would pay way above uh, 100 million euros, more like 110, 120, which is, uh, apart from Erling Haaland, who had a release clause, uh, pretty much the going rate for a one of the top young strikers in the world. Um, but it's a huge amount of money and would take United spending this summer to a massive, massive amount. Um, but again, if he's going to be United striker for five years, he's going to fit into the team as a character and a player, then it's absolutely worth it. And I don't watch enough Syria or Napoli to know enough about his quality to comment, but people whose opinions I value rate him very highly. So that that can only be a good thing if United did sign it. But I, I, I think there's a one in 10 chance that this could happen before the end of the window. I don't see it happening at all. Yeah, I, I really don't see it happening. I think it's one of those things that, 
almost seems too good to be true. These swap transfers almost never come to fruition. Really, the only one I can remember in recent history was the Alexis Sanchez and, and Mkhitaryan one. And even that yeah. was a, a drawn out Which process. Went terribly. Yeah, exactly. It, it just, it's one of those things that always sounds so good on paper, but realistically, I don't think will happen. It sounds to me like it's something that, it's a proposal that Jorge mm. Mendes has has thrown out there to try and sort of test the water. And Napoli has come back and said, fine, but it's going to take, you know, 120 million euros. I mean, realistically, why would Napoli swap a striker in their mid 20s for one in their late 30s who well, will probably only for be there for a season? <laughs> Well, but that—that's what I'm saying. Like, it's going to take that much, and then at that point, it doesn't feel worth it, really, for United. If you're going to spend that much money on a striker, realistic. Not not saying that Osman isn't worth that much. From everything I know about him, he's very good. I, like you, I don't watch that much Serie A, but I think if you're going to be spending that much on a striker, United would have, you would have hoped anyway, would have had more planned targets in their mind for the whole summer. So I don't see any way United spend that kind of money on anyone towards the end of this window. I think. The only hope you would ever yeah. have of this coming to fruition. <laughs> Given what we know about how long how long decisions take to be made at the senior level at Manchester United, getting an 120 million euro deal done in the next two days seems <laughs> yes uh, beyond the realms of belief. And I think if we did have that kind of money ever to spend on a striker, you would have had twice, three time daily rumours coming out that we were linked with every striker in Europe. Okay, yeah. Let's do a quick youth and loan roundup, starting with the under 21s who drew 2-2 with a late equaliser from Amari Forson at home to Fulham on Friday night. Forson also scored in the first half, which was also an equaliser after Padger City had put Fulham ahead and then Ablade put them ahead just after half-time before Forson's 95th minute equaliser. Um, the under-18s played their second game of the season. They had won 3-0 against Nottingham Forest on the opening day, uh, lost 4-2 to Liverpool away uh, in a, an entertaining game. Manny Norcott and Sam Murray, the scorers, uh, both of those goals in the second half. And in low news, Ethan Laird playing at right back, assisted Chris Willock, uh, brother of former United Academy player Matty Willock, as QPR beat Watford 3-2. Alvaro Fernandez not back from injury yet uh, and Justin Hannibal has joined Birmingham City on loan for the season there's also some suggestion they might be looking to do a permanent deal for Teeth Chong to go back to St Andrews as well Jack uh, just before we very quickly talk about the Europa League draw Hannibal to Birmingham on loan thoughts a good move good move I, you know we talked quite a lot in pre-season about who was going to go out on loan and I think Hannibal was one of those that barring a, an amazing pre-season was always likely to be someone that was sort of on, on the outside looking in in terms of the first team especially now with the very likely possibility yeah. that we sign Anthony I think it, it was very very unlikely he was ever going to get game time even with this congested schedule that we have it's good that he's gone to a team playing at a decent level that where he's likely to get a decent amount of game time I think that's really all you can want for him yeah I think it does say a bit about how United are viewing his progress and not in a great way. I think there's clearly still some learning to do there, particularly on the mental side of things and that because he, he's, he's obviously got a huge amount of talent and the first team players at United have spoken about how much talent is there and about how good he could be. But he's 19. Yes, he's very young, but it's, I don't know. I think the fact he's going to a championship club and United aren't, and Ten Hag isn't keen to keep him around for now is, is not, it's not a, a bad sign, but it's not it's not a good sign. And given what we know about his quality, you, you'd be hoping that this season would be the first where he's kind of really uh, putting, making a mark on the first team squad and showing why he needs to be kept around. And he clearly hasn't done that yet. So we'll see. Um, but in, term, in terms of, it, in just the context of whether it's a good loan move for him, yeah, it is. Um, and it would be even better if he can 
be with Tee Chong there as well, who can show him the ropes a little bit. The Europa League, United have drawn Ammonia from Cyprus. Uh, the first game will be, I'm, I'm thinking the first away actually, Real Sociedad will be the first game. Uh, then United travel to Moldova to take on FC Sheriff, who downed Real Madrid at the Bernabeu last year, also beat Shakhtar Donetsk and challenged into Milan very well as well. And I said the other team, Ammonia from Cyprus. Uh, it's three intriguing trips in, in is what I immediately think. Um, uh, and yeah, Saturday, the fixtures came out at about 7am on Saturday, sparking panic for Red to travel all over the world to see United play uh, and a very busy Saturday morning booking trains and flights and accommodation in all parts of Europe. Uh, but yeah, three exciting, intriguing oppositions in one of the most Europa League groups you could imagine, really. Two long-haul journeys <laughs> against teams from Nations United and never played it before, Cyprus and Moldova. And then plus a, a sort of second-tier Spanish team as well, which also seems to be the norm, yeah. especially for United in the Europa League. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, like you said, it's pretty standard Europa League group, to be honest. I think could have been could have been better in terms of travel. It's probably my only big reaction. Moldova and Cyprus obviously mm. being relatively long trips, although not the furthest that you could possibly have had in this Europa League draw. I think it's one that, you know, United will obviously be heavy favourites for. Sociedad is a nice, fun destination for United. And so obviously got the, the old David Moyes connection there as well, which is somewhat exciting. United have a, I think I remember hearing in pre-season that United have gone out in Europe in the last like seven seasons or something to Spanish opposition, which is crazy to think about. I know that this isn't a knockout format, but United just don't have a, the best record against Spanish teams. Although Sociedad obviously not same level as some of those others that we played in the Champions League. But a, a yeah. pretty standard Europa League group, I think not not much to write home about. I think Cyprus in particular going out to Nicosia will be a fun trip for all the Reds that make the trip out there. Yeah, I've booked Cyprus, I've booked Spain and I'm just weighing up whether I want to go to Moldova or not. It's also just that, like that's what following your team in Europe should be about is going to places and experiencing culture that you, you don't normally get to see. It is one of the more unique things about being in the Europa League as well. Just that these are never oh, it's much more exciting, destinations yeah. you would ever think about going to for football. Yeah, yeah. Although I was looking very enviously at the English teams' Champions League groups this year because all four English teams have got in terms of away travel, have got three like just brilliant, brilliant trips of a kind of mix of big teams to play, great stadiums to go to, and really, really great cities. I think Liverpool have Ajax, Napoli, and I can't remember the third team, but uh, yeah, some dreamy ones there. That'll be very interesting. Maybe we'll talk more about the Europa League group maybe uh, on Friday after the Leicester game. And let's talk about the Leicester game very quickly before we wrap up. They're poor at the moment, really poor. We have to win this with another a performance built on the same foundations as Southampton, but with a more present midfield and a better first half. Yeah, couldn't put it better myself. Leicester are, are very much there for the taking. I think you couldn't really ask for a more inviting fixture for United to really stamp their authority on a game and be able to really put into practice the way that Eric Ten Hag wants us to play. You know, Leicester have some good players still, obviously, but in a bit of turmoil at the moment, have started the season really poorly and just don't look like a team that are sort of at the races, to be honest, in their first few games so far this season. I think from a United perspective, you want to see a continuation of that first 15, 20 minutes of the second half against Southampton. I think you really want to see us control this game more so than we have any of the games so far. Even against Liverpool, obviously our best performance so far this season. You know, we didn't we controlled the game at times, but mainly we controlled it out of possession but by just sort of keeping Liverpool at arm's length. 
we weren't we weren't really keeping them so we weren't controlling the game really in possession which I think is the big hurdle for this team to get over especially away from home like against Leicester we've seen too many games that have gone the way of that Southampton match on at the weekend and we've often come out on the wrong side yeah. of them but regardless of whether we win or lose we can't have another performance like that where we're allowing a team like Leicester or like Southampton to really be in like a 50-50 scrap we need to control the game to be able to enable our quality to show and really pull us apart from Leicester and Casemiro should help with that hopefully he'll be starting um I thought he he showed some quality immediately when he came on. Yeah, he did. Some 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 calmness, I think, was the biggest thing. Is that Yeah. I think I I really appreciate players that can both bring intensity and calmness. That's a really unique sort of trait to have to be able to to be able to bring calmness to the rest of your teammates and feel like a situation is under control, but also be very clearly laser focused and also very, very intense and quick with all of your actions that you make on the pitch. And I think McTominay and Fred definitely have the intensity part of that, but obviously at <laughs> times look very frazzled and like everything is is a bit of an uncontrolled mess, which kind of works at some times. But there are other times when you do just need that air of calmness, that air of control that I think Casemiro will bring. So there were some good moments against Southampton, obviously more in a defensive setting just because United really didn't have much of the ball at all when he came on. But I'm hoping yeah. to see a bit more of that this weekend. And I, I would expect him to start yeah. against Leicester. Yeah, there was uh, the two I remember. One was uh, he had the ball, shielded it well, and then got rid of it um, on the right side of the box. And then another way he charged down a shot very quickly, which is something I don't think I've seen a United player do for many years, genuinely. Um, it's, it's something actually Martinez, I think, does really well at too. There was a been a couple of times yeah. where he's done it well, but you're right. It's just not, again, it's, it's about intensity in the defending. I don't think it's something United have had very often. And I've got to say, actually. Yeah, I just genuinely, I, I was like, who's done, I, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. Yeah. I was like, who's done that? And then realised it was the, the new signing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, on, Related, but slightly different topic as well. Something I've really appreciated about Martinez since he's come in as well is, I think we, you mentioned it on the last episode, Harry, sort of the, the pride that he seems to take in his defending, similarly to like how yeah. the Italian defenders all famously are like celebrating blocks and clearances like a goal. Yeah. Martinez has brought that kind of attitude into our defence. And I, I personally really like that because it is something to take pride in. And it, I think it does subconsciously make you more committed to, to protect that kind of clean sheet. You know, that every... Every time De Gea made a save or one of them made a clearance, there's high fives everywhere. I, I, and to be honest, I like that a lot. Absolutely. It's exactly what we need. And again, hearing the chant of Argentina, Argentina, is it's just, as a fan, lovely to hear. Um, it's just one of the great, uh, I don't know, the great, just so satisfying and enjoyable. And on that note, we will wrap up and dive into the Patreon Q&A where we'll talk more about Anthony. We'll talk about what priority or level of priority the Europa League should have and a little bit more about the game at St. Mary's on Saturday. Everyone else, thank you very much for listening and giving uh, giving us your time to hear our thoughts for more for us throughout the week. If you want to hear it, you can find Jack on Twitter at, at UTDTATE-T-A-I-T. You can find me at Harry Robinson 64 and the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there. If you're enjoying the show, it would be uh, brilliant. We'd be very grateful if you'd uh, take the time to leave a review on your respective podcast app. Otherwise, thank you for listening. Have a great week. Goodbye.
Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.